0: Hi friends, this is Bill Press and welcome. Welcome to the very first edition of the brand new Bill Press Pod. I'm really looking forward to joining you on this new podcast where we'll have a chance to explore some of the big issues that we're dealing with today. A chance to take a deep dive into immigration or climate change or gun safety, the kind of deep dive you never have time for on a regular talk radio show. Of all the issues facing us today, None is more lively or more important than the choice-facing congressional Democrats to impeach or not to impeach Donald Trump. And nobody's more out in front on that issue than Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin. So it's a great honor to welcome Jamie Raskin as our very first guest on the Bill Press Pod. It's 1.40 on Monday afternoon, June 3rd. We are in the office, uh, Congressional Office of Congressman Jamie Raskin from Maryland. Congressman, good to see you.
1: Bill, I'm delighted to be with you, and forgive the beeps that you may hear in the background.
0: Last week, Robert Mueller surprised all of us. The Sphinx spoke. (laughs) Suddenly, uh, for the first time in two years, he came forth with a statement, um, kind of summing up his report. What was your takeaway from the Robert Mueller report, Congressman?
1: Well, the takeaway was that he delivered... Eleven episodes of presidential obstruction of justice, you know maybe five or six of them, which just look to be dead to rights, you know um, prosecutable indictable, which is why there are now more than a thousand former u s attorneys and federal prosecutors who are running around the country saying we would have indicted anybody else in this circumstance but the president uh, is not indicted when he's sitting in office by the Department of Justice. And that was precisely the point that Mueller was making. He said, "There's basically, there's one reason we didn't indict the president, because of the DOJ policy that we don't indict a sitting president. And so he obviously took on the attorney general there, and he tried to dispel that thick fog of propaganda that Barr has left over the country with the ludicrous, no obstruction, no collusion mantra that he and Trump have been advancing everywhere they go.
0: You're a constitutional lawyer. You taught constitutional law. Do you agree with Robert Mueller that that Office of Legal Counsel opinion is constitutional? That under the Constitution, you can't indict a president?
1: Actually, I do not agree with that. There's nothing in the Constitution which says that the president cannot be indicted while in office. Um, There's a handful of ragtag OLC opinions, Office of Legal Counsel opinions, which were requested by presidents, and then each one built on the last one until you get this little presidential authority for what it's worth, which is not much within the executive branch of government, which is they think that you can't indict a sitting president. But there's no holding from a court saying that. There's nothing textual in the Constitution like that. It defies common sense. I mean, are they really saying that if the president committed murder on Fifth Avenue, that he couldn't be indicted while in office? It just doesn't seem logical.
0: Right. Do you you see the Mueller report as an impeachment referral to Congress?
1: Yeah, I think that's the way that Mueller is articulating it. I mean, he keeps going back to it. Remember, he seems like he's really mad. He wrote two letters of protest to Barr about his misstatement and the propaganda-like choreography surrounding the much-delayed release of the report. Um, And he said, you're confusing the American public. This is leading to the confusion of the public. And so um, his point was that it's not up to us in the Department of Justice. The reason he said I'm not pronouncing upon it uh, is because of this policy in DOJ. And I don't think it's fair for me to say, even though we don't indict, I'm just going to go ahead and say it because you know, how could the president defend himself? Of course, the president does have the biggest bully pulpit in the world. He could have defended himself. But in any event, one understands the logic of what he is saying. Um, But he kept repeating, this goes to Congress. They have other constitutional remedies at their disposal. So I think what he was saying is, if we could have absolved him, we would have. If we could have exonerated him, we would have. We didn't. Here's all the evidence. Look at all this evidence. And now it's up to Congress to act.
0: Do you believe uh, Donald Trump has committed impeachable offenses?
1: Almost certainly.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: All of the episodes of presidential obstruction of justice are things that just jump off the page as impeachable offenses. When the president tells the White House counsel, go and fire the special counsel, I don't like what he's doing to me. I don't like what he's looking into and tell everybody it's because there's a conflict of interest. um, That is... In itself obstruction of justice. But we saw it publicly when he said to Comey, you got to drop this case against Flynn. He's a good guy. Let it go. And then when Comey refused to, he sacked Comey. So there are repeat instances of that that are set forth in the report. I mean, think back to pre-Trump time, right? PT, pre-Trump, <laughs> uh, when we all would have thought it absolutely extraordinary, almost unthinkable that a president would try to interfere in any criminal investigation, in any prosecution, call up the prosecutors and say, leave this guy alone, leave that guy alone or bring charges against this person and that person. That's extraordinary. But to do it in a case involving you, I mean, that's like unthinkable or unfathomable. And everybody's wandering around, scratching their heads like it's some sort of you know, great philosophical mystery. Is this an impeachable offense? Of course, it's an impeachable offense. Now, just because you have an impeachable offense doesn't mean you necessarily impeach. And that goes to the nature of impeachment. I mean, impeachment is a mixed question of law and politics by constitutional design. If it were just supposed to be a question of law, it would have been put in Article 3 with the courts and they would have looked at it and it would have been brought in that direction. But it's a, it was left to Congress. And so we have to look, okay, Is it an impeachable offense? And then B, do we actually impeach? That requires us to set impeachment on the table vis-a-vis everything else we're trying to do, lower prescription drug prices, protect pre-existing condition coverage, deal with the international situation and also represent our constituents, and so that 's why it is this complicated mixture of legal political constitutional moral ethical questions that we 're involved in
0: right it seems that is most people see that is the decision facing Democrats in Congress right now and republicans do and, and Republicans do sadly not enough republicans part of the part of the debate yet and oversimplifying there seem to be two schools speaker Pelosi says. Let's keep up with the legislative agenda, hold these hearings, gradually build a case, build a case for 2020 against Donald Trump. And there are others who say we we have to start the impeachment hearings right away because if we don't, we're endorsing Donald Trump's behavior. Do you fall in each either camp? Um, you, should we begin impeachment hearings right away?
1: Well, again, we got to define our terms here. There's a difference between an impeachment inquiry and articles of impeachment. Articles of impeachment.
0: Please, a lot of people don't understand that. Please explain that.
1: Articles of impeachment are the end of the process. It's an indictment. Think of impeachment as an indictment. And that's why there is this handoff coming from Special Counsel Mother. He said, we don't indict in the Department of Justice, the sitting president of the United States. Congress can indict a president of the United States through the impeachment process. Now, it's not a criminal indictment in that the president doesn't go to jail, but it's a removal from office. Uh, And there's a big stigma attached to that as well. But that's the end of the process. The beginning of the process is an impeachment inquiry. Now, some people have said that when I point this out, that it's a distinction without a difference, I'm trying to lure people into it. Nonsense most impeachment inquiries in the House of Representatives have not led to articles of impeachment. A majority have not gone all the way. So it's a real thing. We, when we start an impeachment inquiry, we have to say, OK, what are the different uh, areas of criminality we're investigating? Obstruction of justice would be one contempt of Congress would be one. Abuse of power would be one. Violation of the emoluments clause would be another one. There might be others that are brought forward. We would set up those categories. We would have investigators looking into all of them. We would conduct hearings into them. And then at the end of the process, we would say, do we think that there's sufficient evidence? Do we think there's abundant evidence? Now, the Constitution is also silent on what the specific standard of proof is. Is it beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the criminal standard proof. Is it by a preponderance of the evidence? Is it somewhere in between? You know, that, that's a little bit murky, but we would clearly have to see sufficient and compelling evidence of criminality before we would decide that we wanted to write articles of impeachment and vote on them. Now, even if we did that, we voted on the indictment and then it say leaves the Judiciary Committee, goes to the floor and say the full house votes on it. Even if we did that, that just kicks off the process in the Senate the indictment would go from the House, which is operating here like a grand jury and a prosecutor over to the Senate and the Senate would conduct a trial and they need two thirds in order to convict. So this is why I say to people an impeachment inquiry is not impeachment articles. Impeachment articles is not an impeachment trial. The Senate's got to conduct that and a trial is not a conviction. And so a conviction is not even a panacea for everything we need. So even those of us who are calling for impeachment inquiry should not be overpromising in terms of what it gives us. But it does put us on a path to a constitutional solution to the
0: current crisis of the republic. And what is the difference between an impeachment inquiry and what's going on now? Because you do have some of these questions being looked at by various committees. Yes. Financial and oversight and the oversight committee and the Um, Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Committee?
1: It's a matter of a formal assignment and definition. It would be the House of Representatives Representatives saying, we've seen enough evidence to believe that there may be impeachable offenses. We would like a formal inquiry where presumably the House Judiciary Committee, it could be a select committee, but uh, the Judiciary Committee will investigate in a systematic and organized way all of these offenses, as opposed to um, you know, a dozen investigations going on in different committees and subcommittees all over the Congress into different kinds of misconduct.
0: Right. Now, you know, there are people who make some pretty strong arguments that this is, that, that's, that's rushing into something. Uh, and one of their arguments is, uh, just, to, just to play devil's advocate for, for a bit, is you yourself said it goes to the Senate. You, you know that Senate Republicans under Mitch McConnell are gonna dispatch this very quickly and not vote to convict Donald Trump. So in the end, he's going to stay, he'll, he'll still be in office and you would have gone through all this angst for nothing.
1: Yes, that might be right. It might also be wrong. Um, you know, if you go back to the Nixon investigation, people thought that neither the House Republicans nor the Senate Republicans would be moved. But investigations have a dynamic of their own. Evidence comes out, smoking guns arrive, people learn things. And, you know, already we've had one Republican, Justin Justin Amash, say, I read the report and I'm sorry, I found the conclusion irresistible that there's evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors in there. Read the report, he urged all of his colleagues. Um, So good for him that he did that. But he won't be the only one. There will be others who will have a real crisis of conscience about this and will have to ask whether they can put their constituents and their conscience and their country above their political party. Um, And it always happens in a situation like this.
0: On that point, uh, Robert Mueller did say, read the report. Uh, We know that most Americans have not and will not read the report. Should Robert Mueller then testify in front of Congress, even though he said he'd rather not? I think that the sentiment among my colleagues
1: on the Judiciary Committee is that he should testify. He should come in. Um, You saw um, how his— statements on Friday were like a dam breaking in terms of public opinion. Um, I mean, it's one thing to have the report out and then to have all of these disputed accounts of what's in there. It's another to have the special counsel himself, a decorated war hero and lifelong Republican federal prosecutor, come up and say um, what's in the report and that Uh, We would have exonerated the president if we could have. We could not do it. The only reason we didn't indict him was because there's a policy against indicting a sitting president. So I think that that had an electrifying effect on public discourse. And we know that lots of members have come out for an impeachment inquiry since he
0: did that. One of your colleagues, Congresswoman uh, Shelley Pingree from Maine, said that even if Robert Mueller were to come in to the Judiciary Committee and just read out loud on national television, the pertinent parts of the report. Yeah. Mission accomplished.
1: Yeah. Well, the the country's had a lot of discussion about redactions, but what we really need is some excerpts of the most dramatic and riveting uh, findings and conclusions that are in there. So most people are not going to read 450 plus pages, but people would read 10 or 15 pages of you know the the critical summaries precisely what Attorney General Barr tried to suppress when he first got the report from Barr, and Barr wrote two letters of vehement protest against what Barr was doing. I mean, there, you know, um, there is a very special place being reserved for Attorney General Barr, given what he did to America over the last few months.
0: One other argument, of course, is that if you proceed with an impeachment inquiry it automatically sucks up all the oxygen and the pledge that Democrats made, Mm -hmm. which is we have a legislative agenda, we're gonna get things done on prescription drugs, on minimum wage and all that other stuff, just disappear. can't get it done.
1: The the truth might be the reverse. That might be true, but it's also the case that everybody is focused on, on the one hand, the corruption, the obstruction, the lawlessness, the defied subpoenas, the refused witnesses, the documents not turned over now. Um, And then also people are focused on the president's tweets. And, you know, so it, it may be the reverse. It may be that by creating a centralized, focused, disciplined, methodical impeachment inquiry, that we are able to cabinet away from everything else we're working on. And we are able to take back um, the reins of public discussion and the narrative about what the president has done to us. Now, admittedly, it's a tough environment with the president tweeting 24-7 and so on. But look, in the House of Representatives, we've been enormously productive legislatively. You know, we we passed the Equality Act for civil mm-hmm. rights for gay people. We lowered prescription drug prices. We're taking on corporate money in politics. We're trying to have new disclosure rules for campaign finance. We are you know, protecting people's pre-existing condition coverage. I mean, we're doing all this stuff. It's all sitting over there in the Senate. There's a huge stack of bills that McConnell is not taking on. That's the obstructionism that we're facing. That's the problem. Um, so, I think that McConnell and Trump are in a an obstructionist league together. The President is obstructing justice and obstructing. Our constitutional values and McConnell is obstructing legislative progress. We've got to fight back. My grandfather, who was in politics, used to say that duck hunting is a lot of fun until the ducks start shooting back. You know, <laughs> we've got to start firing back and making clear that we're not going to let them get away with all of these violations of the rule of law.
0: And I guess one final argument to run by is that, and I think if speak are Speaker Pelosi here today, she might say, yeah, but let's look at what happened last week. There were three judges in one week who ruled against Donald Trump, who ruled in favor of the Democratic committees in Congress. So, like, this process is working right now. Well, that's absolutely right. Keep going.
1: Well, but that's right. But we're not just keeping a scorecard of judicial victories. What we're winning on is cases where the administration is withholding evidence from us. So we're trying to get evidence. But what's the evidence for? The evidence isn't just to have evidence. The evidence is to figure out what they've been doing to our country, what they've been doing to the Constitution. So, you know, the, the irony of that argument is the more evidence we actually get, the more evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors we assemble.
0: The Bill Press Pod brought to you today by the American Association of Firefighters, those great men and women of our firefighting departments all across the land on the front lines protecting American families every day under the leadership of President Harold Sheetberger. They never let us down. We salute them, thank them for the support of the Bill Press Pod.
1: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts
0: ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download
1: the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash
0: podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're talking today with Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin. How much time do you think Democrats have. At some point, if you get into 2020, most people say you just started too late because then it's all a campaign mm-hmm. issue. So the clock is ticking. How much time do you think before Democrats have to really decide, well, fish or cut bait on impeachment? Look,
1: I mean, Speaker Pelosi is a political genius, and she understands the rhythms of the legislative calendar. She understands the rhythms of the political calendar. And, you know, we're not going into this without Speaker Pelosi's agreement and active leadership and participation so she would know and understand that my guess is that if we're going to do this labor day we've got to launch this in 2019 we need to launch it it doesn't have to be finished in 2019 but i don't think you can reasonably launch an impeachment inquiry in an election year in 2020 um so i think that um We are having this discussion very actively over the next several weeks, and I think we'll see where it goes. Um, You know, I believe we need every tool in the constitutional toolkit on the table. We need the Emoluments Clause. We need the Speech and Debate Clause. We need the Impeachment Clause. We need the 25th Amendment, as a lot of refugees from the Trump administration have told us. Um, You know, we're dealing with an absolutely unprecedented situation. There's no clearly right answer. None of this should be grounds for anybody feeling uh, morally high-handed or contemptuous of anybody else. We're all trying to figure this out together within the Democratic caucus and within the country.
0: What are you, mm-hmm. as a member of Congress, going to do about it?
1: Well, I'm going to try to keep... Well, a our, lot of people are talking about it. Yeah.
0: Everybody's sort of waiting. I saw, again, Congressman Rehauvel, Roo- well, one uh-huh. of his colleagues in the New York Times, said, you know, we got to move. Somebody's got to move. We gotta yes. Act.
1: Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing this week, okay, because I've got a lot of different things that I want to put on the table. One of them is the 25th Amendment. Of course, in the last session, I introduced legislation about it with uh, 70 co-sponsors. Unfortunately, all of them were Democrats. There were no Republicans willing to join us. But that legislation establishes the body that's contemplated by the 25th Amendment, because the 25th Amendment says the vice president and a majority of the cabinet can find that the president cannot execute the powers and duties of office. But it also says the president and a body, a majority of a body set up by Congress can determine that too. Congress never set that body up. So this just establishes a body that would be bipartisan, it would be bicameral, it would include former presidents, vice presidents, attorneys general, secretaries of defense, treasury, attorneys, you know, and on the other side, it would have physicians and psychiatrists. You know, because what the framers of the 25th Amendment were about was saying, look, we got 535 members of Congress. We only got one president and we can't afford a president to be physically or psychologically disabled in the nuclear age. So that's one thing. But I tell you what I'm going to interrupt you. Yes, because
0: uh, while we were waiting to begin, I saw in your office here a copy of this book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, which I read last year uh 37 leading psychiatrists and mental health experts in the country who uh take a look at donald trump and say uh, they feel compelled to speak out that it's dangerous to have someone like him so close to his finger on the nuclear button that's right um do you believe that donald trump is mentally ins- if you're doing this and setting up this body is one should one conclude that you believe that he is mentally unstable
1: no um it's not my judgment to make we, we have a constitutional role to fulfill which is to set up a body of people who really would be experts and half of the experts would be people who've served in the executive branch who understand the pressures of the executive branch and understand the nature of the president's job. The other half would be physicians and psychiatrists. I think enough evidence has been brought forward by people who were in the administration. There's been enough talk about the 25th Amendment by people like Rod Rosenstein and other people Uh, In the administration that we've got to do our constitutional responsibility by setting this body up. Okay. Okay So but that's something I feel by the way. It doesn't mention Donald Trump. It's not just for this administration It's for all administrations. It should have been done 50 years ago when they passed the 25th amendment
0: You mentioned uh, a second.
1: Well, here's the real thing that I think we need to do Um, The emoluments clause uh, The foreign emoluments clause in article 1 section 9 says that none of us in federal government can take any present emolument which means payment office or title from a prince king or foreign government this was the original anti-corruption anti-bribery provision of the constitution that the framers put in there because they wanted the president and the members of congress to have complete undivided loyalty to the american people that's all we should be thinking about our fiduciary responsibility is to the people not to the saudi princes and not to the United Arab Emirates and not to Turkey and not to the dictator of the Philippines and not to, um, you know, Vladimir Putin and so on, not to the Chinese government. But you know what? This president has collected millions of dollars from foreign governments at the Trump hotel, the Trump office tower, the golf courses. Um, Other presidents have come to Congress to ask for consent because you can only keep that stuff with the consent of Congress. Other presidents have come to us for our consent when they've gotten something like a rug, a shawl, something worth a couple hundred dollars. And sometimes Congress says, yeah, you can keep it. Sometimes Congress says, no, turn it over to the US Treasury, turn it over to the State Department. This president is keeping millions of dollars. Now, he said voluntarily he would write checks for, I think it was either three hundred and fifty or $450,000, which gives you a sense of how much money he's really accepting. He says these are the profits from foreign governments. Well, a couple problems there. One, the Constitution doesn't say that he can keep money from foreign princes, kings, and governments if it's just, if it's not the profits, if it's just whatever, the principle. I don't know what the distinction is. But the other thing is, even um, you can't keep any of it without coming to Congress. Mm-hmm. It's a, you can't keep any of it without the consent of Congress. So it is time for us to zero in on this and to say that Congress does not accept the president's acceptance of these emoluments from foreign governments. We reject it. We don't approve. And so everything that he's collected since he's been president has got to be turned over to the U.S.
0: Treasury. And you introduce a resolution on that? Is that yes, right I've right? written
1: a resolution. And I'm going to be sending out a dear colleague letter later today or this evening to colleagues about it. And it's time for us to move on that. And however you feel about an impeachment inquiry, you could be for it or against it. You've got to stand with us. I'm hoping even some Republicans would say it is not proper. It cannot be the new standard operating procedure for presidents to be pocketing money from foreign governments and princes and kings.
0: What do you think about Julian Amash, Justin Amash? I mean, you, you must—I'm sure you talked to some of your Republican colleagues. He can't be the only one among the Republicans who um, just is disgusted with Donald Trump.
1: Well, unfortunately, a lot of the ones that I would have expected to do what Justin Amash did left Congress in the last session. I think they read the writing on the wall— They saw that they had a lawless, corrupt president on their hands and a lot of them just left. And um, so that's too bad. But um, hey, um, Justin Amash deserves our high respect for what he did. And I disagree with him on a lot of political issues. I want to be clear about that. But he did his homework and he did his duty when he said, I read the report, there are high crimes and misdemeanors that are contained in the evidence in this report, and we've got to act on it. And he said to his colleagues, read the report. Don't act like a partisan robot. Read the report and then make a judgment on your own. Show some intellectual honesty.
0: Congressman Jamie Braskin, with us uh, from the 8th District of Maryland. Yes, indeed. Uh, Believe it or not, there are some other things going on Uh, with a little bit of time left. Let me ask you about a couple of there is, for example, uh, a Democratic primary for 2020. With 24 Democrats running. Yes. Uh, you're not, last time I checked. I'm uh, not running. No, I'm where you, the power is. I'm with Congress. Do you, you know, you have so. a, <laughs> do you have a candidate? Have you endorsed?
1: No. Well, let me just make one serious point about this other thing. We A lot of those people, that's great that they're running, but some of them could be running for Senate. Some of them could be... Back here fighting with us uh, for uh, the justice and for the integrity of the Constitution. So I hope they don't lose sight of that. I mean, I understand the impulse to get out of Washington when Donald Trump is president, but we need them fighting and we need to restore the powers of Congress. Look, we are not co-equal branches, which is what so many of my colleagues say. We are the leading preeminent branch of government. We are an article one. The Constitution flows right out of we, the people, right into the legislative power, is invested in Congress exclusively. we got to make clear that people understand that. The president's core job is to take care that our laws are faithfully executed. He implements the laws that we pass. He can't impeach us. We can impeach him for high crimes and misdemeanors. So understand the proper relationship there. So So you're suggesting mm -hmm.
0: that Eric Swalwell or Tim Ryan and Seth Moulton— to come back and do their job here and not run for president? Well,
1: we need their help here, too. No, I wish those guys all the best. But I, I don't think that they, anybody should run for president on the theory that that's where the power is. The power is right here in Congress, and we've got to restore the power of Congress. We have the power to declare war, not the president. He should get the hell out of that Saudi war in Yemen right now. We told him to by majority vote in both houses of Congress, bipartisan votes, but he thinks he can just go ahead and do it. He doesn't have a power to declare a national security emergency to pay for the wall, which we said we were not going to fund. We control the power of the purse, not him. So there's a a fundamental constitutional power struggle going on that goes way beyond his high crimes and misdemeanors. It's a question of who's going to govern in America. Is it Congress or are we going to have an imperial presidency? So you haven't endorsed yet. What
0: are you looking for? Um, or waiting for? Well, I
1: want, I want people who are going to help us fight this constitutional battle. Um, I want people who are going to unify uh, the Democratic Party in the great tradition of our country behind the Constitution, behind the Bill of Rights, and behind a progressive program that moves us forward on health care, that moves us forward on education for the people, that moves us forward for a progressive tax structure, and so on.
0: And the person who can beat Donald Trump. I guess I would add.
1: It but. goes without saying that is the number one job qualification. We got to win. We, we, we've got to beat Donald Trump. But the person who picks up that program will win. We are the party. And you haven't
0: seen that person yet, Just mm-hmm. keep.
1: Oh well, I I think a lot of them could do it, and I'm very impressed by the campaigns that a bunch of them are running, and I'm impressed by the different elements of it. Look, the great thing about uh, Democratic politics is the competitiveness of it. You know, uh, and I, I'm. So disappointed in the Republicans that it remains a, a dictatorial, religious, cult-like atmosphere over there. Um, they should be, of all people, they should be questioning what their party is and what it stands for at this point. Because Donald Trump has stolen their party right out from beneath them. It is not remotely like Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass' party anymore. You're not ready to stand
0: up and endorse Joe Biden today.
1: I would be very happy if he were the nominee to go out and campaign for him. I'd be very happy if it were Elizabeth Warren. I could name you a couple
0: dozen of them, you know. One other thing that you've led the fight on is the national popular vote. Yes. Time to get rid of the Electoral College.
1: Well, it's a a travesty. It's a mockery of democracy. We should elect the president the way we elect everybody else— Governors, mayors, members of the House, Senate. we Look, Bill, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars exporting democracy abroad every year. You know one thing we never export? The Electoral College. You never have a country saying, hey, we're going to write a new constitution. We want to use that Electoral College relic thing you have there. I mean, it, it's so undemocratic and unfair the way it works. Two of our last five elections, 2000 and 2016, were settled in favor of the popular vote loser by millions of votes, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, we should have a real election where everybody's vote counts equally, where the majority of the uh, votes gets to decide who's going to be president. Yeah,
0: and yeah. finally, I just have to ask you this because Jared Huffman in California is my congressman in California, and I note that you and Jared Huffman and a couple of others have formed what is called the Congressional Free Thought caucus. Yes, indeed. What the hell is that? Well, I
1: wanted it to be called the free thinkers caucus, but they (laughs) thought that was too provocative. But look, America was founded by free thinkers, both in the general sense of people who are willing to think for themselves and not accept received dogma from states or churches, but also free thinkers in the sense of wanting to stand up for um, the secular separation of church and state in the constitution. Uh, And the, you know, that's what Tom Paine was about. That's what Thomas Jefferson was about and James Madison. James Madison. They, they were, as people, they were deists. They basically stood by the doctrine that God got everything started and then just stepped out of it at that point. Um, but they believed very strongly in the separation of church and state. They rebelled against centuries of theocracy and merger of church and state, like the Church of England. And Madison said that led only to Corruption of the government and um, corruption of the church Um, and that the way to deal with it is to make religion and faith a matter between each person and his or her God or no God at all. That's up to everybody to decide. So It was a great moment in 1962 when the Supreme Court in Engel versus Vitale struck down compulsory prayer in the public schools and said, it's no business of the part of government to be composing prayers and making kids do it. I still have colleagues who will get up and rail about that and say, Mm -hmm. you know, the Supreme Court banned prayer in the public schools. And I always say, no, the Supreme Court did not ban prayer in the public schools. As long as there are pop math quizzes, (laughs) there will be prayer in the public schools. Anybody can pray whenever they want. It's just that the government can't write the text, and then compel you to participate in
0: it. Right. And that spirit prevails Mm -hmm. today in the Congressional Free Thought Caucus. Uh, Congressman, a real fighter for the people, a real progressive, and a real free thinker. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Bill. I'll try to live up to it.
0: And now, my parting shot for today, I think Jamie Raskin's absolutely right. And I must admit, I've changed my opinion on this. I mean, before, I was in the school of, let's not rush into impeachment hearings, let's take our time, let's hold the other committee hearings first, and then see where we are. But Robert Mueller changed all of that, I believe. I mean, Robert Mueller told Congress, I've done my job. Now it's time for you to to do yours. Robert Mueller said, I can only go so far. Only you can finish the job. Robert Mueller said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't convict Donald Trump of obstruction, but you can. And as a result of that, as a result of Mueller's statement, I believe Congress cannot not act. They have to begin an impeachment inquiry. They've got to build the case against Donald Trump, and then they've got to impeach Donald Trump. Not to act is to endorse Trump's lawless acts and to demean and diminish and disgrace the office of the presidency of the United States. So I can only hope that the Democrats in Congress follow Jamie Raskin's lead. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to this first edition of the Bill Press Pod. And please, subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Tell your friends about it. Uh, you can find us, of course, on iTunes or wherever you go for your favorite podcast. And if you like what you heard, give us a five-star review. Believe me, that really helps us get the word out. Again, many thanks. See you next time.